Welcome back to the Padang Sessions. In this episode, Senior Curator Shabra Hussein Mustafa traces the journey of multimedia artist Jose Tens Ruiz from Manila, where he was involved in the Kaiserhan Social Realist Movement, to his life in Singapore as a political cartoonist. Hi, my name is Mustafa and I'm a curator here at the National Gallery. Um, I have the honor and privilege uh, of introducing a friend uh, and, and, and colleague uh, whom I've known for, for many years now. Uh, and uh, so the, the, the format that we've devised for our conversation uh, today is uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, I'm going to make a few introductory remarks uh, and then thereafter invite uh, Bogi Ruiz to speak. Uh, and then thereafter, I'll try and offer some thoughts uh, as candidly as I possibly can. And uh, we're going to try and keep our conversation uh, quite organic uh, in, 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 many, in many regards. And I also urge you, um, as, as, as the public, to sort of come in to the conversation at some point. And if you have questions uh, or, or, or even uh, certain comments that you wish to make, uh, I think it'll be interesting uh, to, to really engage in, 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 in dialogue. Uh, today's session, I think uh, the way uh, uh, Bogi's kind of uh, designed it, uh, so to speak, uh, is it's going to use uh, the year 1965 uh, as a sort of a shifting point uh, and, and, and a shifting uh, point uh, as a reference uh, in terms of being able to chart out uh, two geographical spaces. Uh, the first, of course, uh, the Philippines uh, uh, and the second being Singapore. And uh, we'll try and navigate uh, through these two different spaces uh, uh, by also tracing uh, how uh, uh, Bogi moved uh, between uh, these two uh, zones uh, and their concerns. Uh, but before, uh, before we begin, uh, I wanted to somehow uh, share with you uh, another portrait, a portrait uh, that uh, was constructed in, uh, in 1986 uh, by the art historian um, Alice Guillermo, uh, who only recently passed away on 29 July. And uh, it's, it's, it's an intriguing portrait uh, constructed uh, really at a moment uh, when things were experiencing uh, significant tectonic shifts uh, in, in, in the Philippines. Um, and this is 1987. Yeah? Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to what this tectonic shift was uh, in a little bit, but please allow me to read. And, and I hope this will form as a kind of an introduction uh, to, to what we are about to uh, experience today. So here goes. Uh, this is uh, Alice Guillermo's book, uh, Social Realism in the Philippines. I quote, particularly striking in the work of Jose Tens Ruiz in whatever form or medium is the original and highly creative way that he goes about his art. His approach is many-sided, multilinear, as all elements in his work dynamically interact. The personal with the social, the sacred with the profane, tragedy with comedy. As an artist, 
Jose Tense Ruiz does not walk straight up to the creature and seize it presumptuously with both hands. Instead, he waits, slyly in the wings for the creature, continuously metamorphosizing and changing its aspect. He tracks it through the dark mazes of the unconscious into clear day, stalks and woos it, as in hunting. Then, suddenly, in the flash of insight, he has it in hand, the marvelous quivering creature, all delicate, gawky, and alarmed, its tones convulsively changing yet. Close quote. So with that, uh, and without much further ado, Bogie Ruiz. Uh, I have applied with the local government in Manila to have Alice made my mother. When she says those beautiful things. Uh, I was driven by a mother who said, what, art? Are you going to make art? Why, la? I mean, you know, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be like one of those poor guys, no? So, th yes, thank you to Alice. That, that, I mean, I think I, I've lived this long because of the occasional beautiful text. Uh, I'm very happy to have Mustafa here because I said to Mustafa, we are going to make it like a kampong sitcom, no? <laughs> so you can also chime in if something comes into your head. Because yes, I think, oh, what the heck? I mean, sorry, we are in an August place, but I think you've had enough of lectures, no? So, yeah, I, I also don't like, I used to teach in the university, okay, <laughs> but you know, movement and settlement. I will start this way, yeah. I was nine years old in 1965. Some of you were a bit older, some were not yet even conceptualized. And there were two regimes that were beginning. One in the Philippines was, of course, the election of that brilliant Congressman Ferdinand Marcos to the presidency, the first, the first time, 1965. And, of course, the separation from Malaysia of Singapore and the beginning of Lee Kuan Yew's regime. And I said, at the end of the day, much of my developed life, much of my developed life uh, was colored by the previous 1965 of Marcos, and yet somewhere along the line by some stroke of real divine, uh, what do you call this, twistedness, I was able to find a wormhole to be able to come into the other regime in 1988. I might still call it the golden days of better CPF for migrants in 88. <laughs> Mr. Miel will know all about this. So, but anyway, so, and yes, uh, when Mustafa wrote me about this, I said, yeah, that would be interesting, you know, how, how to reconcile those two regimes, what they did to our worlds, to my world, how I was able to paddle between these two rivers. And yeah, and I said, and it, my life is, has ever been changed by being here for seven years. In my most exasperated moments, I still say, what to do la? Trust me, no? I mean, I've, I've been away for 23 years. I still say to myself, what to do? 
So yeah, that's, that's one thing that was ingrained. So movement settlement. I begin with 70s to the present. I begin with, I think, what happens to all of our teenagers with bad acne. We don't know what to do with ourselves. So this is like my exploratory period. I am under the spell of guys like Francis Bacon, of course, Robert Rauschenberg, you know, the, the guys that you, that you idolize. We ourselves, I think, have not yet actually come to a Southeast Asian ethos by this time. Mm. We always said, oh, la, make it in New York, la, make it in Paris. La. You know, we, we have not yet come to that. You know, that no, we are good where we are. And this, I think, is what I've grown up into. We are good where we are. We should be proud of where we are. We should, we should take all our idiosyncrasy and say, do you have any of that, Parisians? No? C'est pas vrai, no? So, so this is called Ang Hirap Magpalaki ng Sarili in Filipino. It means it's, it's so hard to raise yourself. And, yeah, it's me and shirts. Because, yeah, this is, this is the moment... When as a young boy, my mother is saying, what artist, what's going to happen to you? So I develop a kind of displacement with myself and I, I paint myself as an empty shirt. And there are more empty shirts, no? Yeah. And this is also the influence a little bit of Antoni Tapies mm. and a little bit of the Matier artists and the Spanish artists, uh, and a little bit also of Virgilio Aviado, my paternal uncle, and his good buddy Mars Galang. I do not know, do they have Marciano Galang in the, no? But anyway, so it's, it's, it's this moving away from the traditional European painting to incorporate junk and industrial materials. This is urea formaldehyde resin. I think I could actually sew pretty well. I sewed all of those shirts from scratch, no? And they were, again, about internal... They were internal upheavals. Uh, I have to confess, my father liked his drink very, very much. So much so that when I was nine years old, in 1965, at the beginning of the regime, one of my nightly habits was, please go to the corner, one bottle of Pepsi and one bottle of gin. Every day, okay. Don't forget the bottle of gin. Okay. So I grew up with that. And all of these things were all of the anxieties that would come. Therefore, when you are a bit bothered, you say, what the heck is wrong with the world? And suddenly you become a political artist. Oh, uh, no, not suddenly, but you know, this is, this is the kind of little upheaval day to day, this incremental upheaval. What is wrong with my family? What is wrong with my dad? What is wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? Then they, they all start to come in a chain. Uh, this to me is a little pivotal one. And then I begin to consider, of course, membership in the movement. In the Philippines, they called it the National Democratic Front. And then they would have, of course, a cultural arm, and the cultural arm would coalesce into what is now known as Kaisahan, oneness, unity, you know? Kaisahan. It's a group of artists who took a specifically uh, contrapuntal political stance against the formalism of the 70s. I mean, the 70s, sure. of course, was the heroic abstract, Clifford Steele, Pollock, they were, you know, they, you, had, you had Warhol, you had Rosenberg, 
And we, uh, me, I said, well, we also had Yin and Forum. But I said, no, we, we don't do that. We take everything and we synthesize them into something like this. And to me, in fact, this was like my membership work in that group because I said, I don't know. You guys are trying to make the world an ideal place. And I have grown up in an unideal place. So I say, I don't know what difference will make. And so it's called Ang Rebelding Natukso. I have a better translation in English. It's called The Rebel Falling. Because I said, maybe the problem with young rebels is they're emotional and not very rational. And that most of us would prefer to be like the pragmatic, work hard, keep your nose to the grindstone kind of person, and maybe the world will get better. But of course, as you're entering it in your 20s, I was 21 by this time, yeah. So this was, these were the meditations that I was doing, no? And again, the, the idea of hypocrisy, you, this is, I think, a Chinese habit. It is very common in Singapore, the hamper. The hamper, in fact, I had a project with the artist village, don't let this hamper you, we made hampers. <laughs> and I did this also, and I made a hamper, but inside it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. It's the whole idea of giving a hypocritical gift. And so again, these are, these are the little moments of disillusionment that begin to, what is that, that begin to make you a serious artist or something to that effect, okay, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, we, we, uh, I think after so many years of uh, kind of rejectional, <laughs> rejectional existence, we have to develop a lot of... And, and Bogi, you're, you're, you're still at USD at the moment, at the University of Santo Tomas. In no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm at home. I'm at home. Okay. I'm totally at home. I had a problem with giving grades. So when I, I left the university to come here, then I never came back. I still have the record for the longest leave of absence without, without terminating myself. But what the heck? I, that was a Catholic university. So there's another story over there. All right. This one is here. No? The continuous enslavement of Kiko, the battery. It, it is very hard to translate. We translate this as Kiko who runs on batteries. But... No, it's a nickname, Kikong Batire. It's like the robot. No, Kiko Francisco, who runs on batteries, or, or our little mannequin. And again, it's about that. No, much of my meditation was about hypocrisy. But here also, it's about the post-colonial thing. You wear the suit, but deep inside, you're hungry. You come in your formality, you come in your suit, but deep inside, there's that. The gut is an empty rice spoon full of rust. So these are, these, are the, these are the ideas that one begins to look at society and says, oh my God, something is wrong. And maybe, yeah, we did not say that we will make it our life's work to do so, but, but you're drawn along. No, I, I, I was drawn along. Uh, I, I would sometimes ask people, is there any other form except social realism? <laughs> I mean, life, life, would, life would always come to some kind of crisis. Uh, of course, it, the, the, one of the biggest ones begins with P, right? Nowadays, no? I will, not, I will not put the other five letters after that T crisis. Uh, Boogie, you, you, Sorry. Want to, you want to mention a little bit about the recent essay that you've written? Um, about, ah, yeah. no, about no. plumbing. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. In fact, well, in, in fact, I, I had my 60-year-old person's rant about 
the young generation and I said, you thought you could escape the clutches of social realism. But anybody given a chance will do a work that has a meaning linked to society. Even if you wanted to be Malvich, even if you wanted to be Albers, even if you wanted to be as utopian as possible. And in fact, in 1989, I was crossing the bridge across the Superior Court on Utram Road and I said, God damn, I landed in Utopia. Well, it's called Singapore, no? Yeah. So, so yeah, no, I mean, so I made this 11 paragraph rant about, I said, nowadays you think that you are going to have to wait for the next tsunami. I did not mean anything about that, by you, but you know, but we've had tsunamis since the Boxing Day of 2004. I said, um, you think that the next wave of art is going to come like a tsunami? No, I said, open the tap. It's in the plumbing. You drink it every day. That's what we're doing now. It doesn't, it doesn't drown or overwhelm us because it surrounds our houses and we want it to be on demand. So that to me, I think, I mean, maybe that's part of information age, internet, etc. I came into finishing my university and I ran into a Casanova of an American teacher named George Bennett. He was always transferring universities because he was running away from his latest girlfriend. And he, <laughs> he ran away from a girlfriend in California, ran away from a girlfriend in the University of Hawaii, but he would accumulate a master's every time before he left the girlfriend. And he landed in the Philippines, and he got to be associate professor immediately upon arrival because like he was six foot tall, blonde, and he had three master's degrees. No and PhD. he, sorry, no PhD. Uh, not enough time. He had to. He had to spend nights looking for girls. <laughs> yeah, his name was George Bennett. This is a real man. But the one thing I remembered about George Bennett, he said to me, "What the heck are you doing looking at our books? Go into the street, look at all your jeepneys, look at your life." He said, "I could do ten years of work just going on the street." And so he, like, you know, he gives you a slap on the back of the head and he says. Don't copy art from other places. Just look at it outside of you. And that's maybe why I, you know, I still, of course, brought with me Edward Kineholz. For those who are familiar with Edward and Nancy Redden Kineholz, you know. And I still brought a little bit of pop art and Peter Blake, you know. But, but it was the jeepney. For those who have ever gotten lost in one of these contraptions in Manila, it was the jeepney, you know. But it was also a portrait of the tragic comedy that I thought our society was getting into by 1979. Again, I had not yet referenced Singapore. It was still what was happening under that regime after 14 years. And again, no? a minibus. These are actually converted Toyota trucks which are made into, you know, I think Pakistan has a lot of them as well. We have lots yeah. of them also. And of course, the, the color, the decoration, but of course, each of my decorations, for example, this minibus has the entrails of a cat because it's run over it at night because the cats get kind of like cat in the headlight syndrome. And I sometimes thought of activists as cats in the headlight. You were, you know, the juggernaut was about to run you over and you were still looking at your burning idealism and there you got run over. Yeah, this one is with the Ateneo. And why is it with the Ateneo? Because I thought my mother would burn it when I left for Singapore. 
I said, uh, I talked to the, the then curator of Ateneo, Emmanuel Torres, and I said, can I talk to you? He said, why? I said, I'm getting a new job in Singapore and I'm leaving some of my artworks with my mother and I don't trust that she will keep them. <laughs> so, said, bring it over and let's sign the paper. So now it's with the Ateneo Art Gallery. No? It is Erding Air Drive, uh, or like an alliteration of a name of, of a driver and his multicolored palace. Boogie, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, with regards to the reference um, to the jeepney, um, the 70s is also an, an, a moment uh, that uh, the CCP is experiencing, and uh, the writings of Realbano at the time are also sort of propositioning uh, the installation as Filipino yes, and yes. to look at, 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 at more, how shall I say, uh, popular expressions, right, uh, yeah. as, as a form. And I, I'm wondering how you, were, how you were navigating what was coming out of the CCP as, as a site, uh, as a site of, 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 of debate, polemic, uh, if, 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 if I can call it that. The thing about the CCP was those of us who had taken a less formal and more political stance were kind of systematically not allowed in. So Ray Albano, for many of us, remained a distant, quite a very interesting writer, but remained a distant character. Uh, this was, of course, one of the prestige projects of the then second term first lady Imelda Marcos. Therefore, we could not sully it with little protestations about how difficult life actually was when she was bringing Van Cliburn in and all of that stuff, no? And Margot Fontaine. Well, we could not sully it with our little dirty pictures of what was really happening in a poorer country. So unfortunately, yes, the only time we were able to get into CCP was 1986 when they had vacated the Philippines. And then a totally new regime took over and the CCP became an outreach situation. So no, yeah, that's a, that's a lacuna in my experience that the, the years between the time that I was practicing until 86, because that's the only time we got in. But I think we kind of, some of us decided to surround them from the outside like a siege. Sure. And we would do, uh, I went into magazines also, and that was a way of getting yourself out there. I went into a magazine which had a very small circulation, but had a very big pass on dynamic. It was, it was like a 5,000 print run Who magazine. But I was surprised that for the next 10 years, somebody would say, you know, I saw this as far away as in like the hinterlands of Mindanao or in the north, because we would lend it to people. I said, well, what do you know? That, that's as good as it gets. There. And then, of course, I also did, I did whatever it took because unfortunately, none of this was monetized. No, I, I was a book illustrator. I was a magazine designer. Yeah, well, I was getting away with this because of the 5,000 copy circulation of that small magazine. But this was like already the protestations in magazine illustration at the time. This is the church and the military trading subpoenas to each other, no? a church edict versus a subpoena or an arrest warrant. Uh, there, my favorite old leader stacking the gloves with a horseshoe. No? You, you have an equivalent 
ISA, no? that's the equivalent, the PCO, the ISA. Oh. The, the, the more mature ones of us, I think, are very familiar with the idea of ISA. So for us, it was the PCO, the Presidential Commitment Order, Arrest Without, no, arrest without Warrant and Indefinite Detention. And also a, a little bit of lionization over men who were serving you know, the protest ranks and were being tortured and murdered. And yes, if you've seen this before, this was in the final funeral march of Benigno Aquino in 1983. And I might be proud to say I was the one who painted that one. Uh, it took us about three nights in a hidden place to paint this one. It kind of it made the rounds, no? So I painted the portrait of some of the, we painted portraits of martyrs, and this was Makliing Dulag, one of the guys who protested the building of a big dam that would have demolished a lot of tribal lands in the north. As usual, I never told the line, and my editor was angry at me. He said, already changed, you know, you've already changed the government, you're still cynical. I said, yeah, the people were used as bullets by the military against another military faction. This is how I looked at what we call people power. So much so that my editor said, no, let's leave it out first. It was never printed. <laughs> my editor was Pete Lacaba, no? He said, no, come on, man. It's, we're supposed to be celebrating a new regime. Don't be too bitter. I said, no, no, this is how it is, I think. I think I was born out soon enough, in about two years. And that, sorry? Is it cynicism or is it irony? It's growing up with an alcoholic dad, man. You don't, you don't take anything at face value anymore. It is cynicism and irony. No, I, mm. it, as, as grandfathers are wont to say to no, it's just realism, right? Mm. It's just realism. We look at things. I said that maybe this might be the the best way that any artist functions. You look at things with the blunt realism that is true to your gut. That's it. If you don't varnish it for yourself, then I think you might, you might touch people better because they're wanting to say it, but you know, it's impolite to say it. But if you voice it out for them, they say, oh my God, is that what you thought as well? So yeah, I, yeah. No, it, it was, yes, please. This was made, I think, about... I think I started to draw it, trust me, I started to draw it on the twin... The, the, the EDSA revolution took place Feb 22 to Feb 25, 86. I think I went to our secret office and I started to draw it in, on Feb 23. Because I had just come from the two military camps uh, if any of you ever looked at the EDSA saga, there was a time when Fidel Ramos, who became president of the Philippines, brought up the, Our Lady of Lourdes on top of a van, and there were about 12 other people with him, and then the top of the roof collapsed. <laughs> I said, oh my God. I said, that's a bad omen. That's a bad omen. Ramos always liked to jump, right? So when he jumped, the roof collapsed, and they all had to go down. But this was the third day. Uh, the, the evening afterwards, Marcos would leave for, you know, for Hawaii. It was supposed to be an editorial for a small protest magazine we were doing. It was supposed to be the editorial, and yet even my, 
my ex-detainee, political detainee boss said, hey, come on, man, let's celebrate a little. Let's not, let's not do this right away. Don't, don't spoil the party. Don't, you know, don't take on that view. I said, no, it's, it's just what I really feel. I said, that's what I owe you. So it's, it's been held back. Eventually, I got somebody else to publish it for a book of poems. Yeah. But there, the people power revolution. But then, interestingly, 32 years later, and we see, you know, we see the kind of devolution, evolution of people powers. So it's interesting. I don't know. Uh, well, I will have to get to the time when, when, I, when I surrender my better sense, and I'm in the Straits Times. Then, yeah, yeah. So from queuing the line now, I told the line, but okay, lah. Well, well, we'll, we'll do the happy part, yes. This I saw on the night I was running with my brother to the, to the presidential palace. It was being looted and, you know, run over by the mob like a Bastille day, you know, February 25 evening. And I saw like, you know, all the very rich anti-Marcos people. And then I saw an urchin looking at them. So the urchin was saying, God damn, will anything ever change? No? And that really haunted me. And so the next day, it's dated February 26, 1986. Then the day after, I went, to, I went to work and said, I have my idea. Uh, thank God my editor didn't kick me out. Uh, then, of course, as, as here's, the, here's, the, here's the lead up. And so we would think that possibly things would change, land reform, all of these things. But this, in 1986, I think this was my view of land reform that's how much goes to the farmer eventually you pass the land around and it gets to the middleman and to the secretary and to whoever and the farmer and so this were the this is the bit of the denouement no the, the coming down the coming down after after the euphoria of 1986 and more no, no, no. One of my favorite you know, is the little red tape dispenser that looks like a snail. No, it's running all over the desk of the bureaucrat, engulfing everything in red tape, dispensing it. No? Then every now and then come. You know. And then of course, one of my favorites, even the hero of EDSA would not be spared his own internal problems of all of the factions who wanted to participate in the new power, Fidel Ramos. And I said, how do we depict this? Oh, my God. I said, yeah, they, you have so many pockets in the military uniform. I said, so, so pockets? Yeah. And this is funny. No, it's not funny. <laughs> this is one of the culminations already. I, am, I think by this time, I had actually already talked to Limpoleng. I was already being recruited at the Straits Times, but I still had 45 days to make my clearance at my work in the, no? And this was one of it, no? This is like the urban guerrilla crisis that was happening in Manila. There was still pockets of a lot of violence with people who basically belonged to the left, the Sparrow Brigade, no? 
And why did I put this? Because the man in charge at the moment came to prominence because in Davao City, he is reputed to have put an end to this with his own anti-sparrow brigade. Uh, for those who do FB, it's the DDS, no, the Duterte Death Squads. So this, at that time, in fact, my, some of my friends in the left said, come on, man, you, you, you know, you're, you're making us look bad. I said, no, that's, that's what I see. Okay, so I think we have, oh, all right, there you go. And so uh, after hemming and hawing, uh, in between this also, uh, the, the, in, the important thing is that I am here with the great permission of my wife because it's her birthday today. I said, go, 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 I, I will enjoy with my friends. <laughs> go, go, go. You, you do your talk. And, and my wife also posed to me the question in 1988. He says, don't you want to have kids? Don't you want to have a house? Don't you want to have a life? And of course, my retort I mean, in my classic faction is, damn it, we're alive. That's all I care about. We survived. We survived all of those years. We have not been picked up from a ditch. We are alive. So no, I haven't had the chance to look, to look into the future. No. And then as if, and that was, uh, mind you, for those of you who are married, I am telling you a very, very refined version of that argument. It was a little more tenuous than, you know, I'd, I'd let on. <laughs> and then out of the blue, some of my friends, uh, Denkoy, I think Denkoy who works with the Straits Times now, I think we, all, we had this little gig that says, oh, but in Singapore they pay better for spot cartoons. So I sent, I sent to my friend, I sent to a friend 15 of my cartoons, and somehow they landed in the hands of the art director of the Straits Times. And soon after that very tenuous argument with my wife about the future, I got a letter from the Straits Times saying, uh, would you like to join us? So I said to my wife, there's your answer. And here's the funny thing. I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to Rome. <laughs> because my wife, as a kind of reconciliation for the tenuous argument, says, I'm able to arrange a trip to Rome and Paris. So when the guys were saying, can we talk to you in Manila? I said, I'm going to Rome, I'm sorry. I cannot, I cannot take you up on the job. I said, wow, man, what, what, what do they say? In, in Tagalog, they say, yabang. What do they say in Singapore? <laughs> what a boastful asshole. This guy, we're giving him a job already in a great company. And I was turning it down to go to Rome. But I said, no, actually, I was turning it down to be with my wife because it was one of the great moments, finally, before we went into a future. There you go. Eventually, you know, they gave me a second call. Are you serious? You don't want to join us? No, 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 no. So I said, I'll go over there for interview if you want next week. <laughs> so I went, bought a ticket, went here, went to an interview, and I landed a job in good old times house. Do not raise your hands. If you recognize the building, you will reveal something else about your status in life. Because this is no longer <laughs> good old times house. Kim Sing Road, no? I had lots of memories. Uh, Denkoy, of course, well, has moved over to all the other sites. No? Good old times house on Kim Sing Road. So there. So suddenly now I enter the wormhole. We enter the wormhole. We cross between the regimes. And all of a sudden, oh my God, it's like 
I moved from a 1965 Neolithic era into a 1965 modernity. Wow, the streets are nice. <laughs> there is no pollution, you know. But of course, there was the quiet. One had to be quiet. Bogey had to be quiet. And so Bogey comes to Singapore and uh, says, oh, okay, uh, political cartoonist, huh? why don't you draw something about the SDU? Okay, la. there you go. The SDU, the flirting, the, well, the SDU at that time. I hope there are no beneficiaries of the SDU program here. Well, maybe you are. What the heck? It's a happy memory. No? But uh, this is what we... SDU stands for Social Development Unit. Yes. <laughs> well, some, some of us know. <laughs> yes, you have, you have to annotate for the younger ones among us. So, you can imagine the shift in tone, no? You can imagine the shift in tone. Funny thing was, I, I was... I was living in a one-room flat with a squat toilet in Chinsui Road. That's an oxymoron when you live in a flat in Chinsui Road. And for those of you who speak Chinese, that's Chinsui. Oh man, the Chinsui Road flats. Okay lah. So, so you can imagine, okay then, and this is what I'm doing. I'm doing happy jokes and you know, fat people jokes and, <laughs> and aerobic jokes. All right, where's the political cartoonist? Oh, he's there, he's there, that's politics. And then I would go home to Chinsui Road, watch TV until 12 o'clock. And then I would hear this and I would start to cry. Marikitara. Oh, I would start to cry. Oh my God, I miss my country. <laughs> yeah, there's a fervor in the 12 o'clock uh, Majula Singapore that touches you really. You know? I'm sitting in Chinsui Road uh, about two meters away from the squat toilet and I said, Oh, I want to go home. But yeah. But, and then, and then the, what, what is it? The, the mid-year bonus comes in and my, my mind is changed. <laughs> and then I start, and then we learn how to call CPF. And this is what is in your account. All right, I said, I think I can take this. I can take this, it's all good. Yeah. And I was doing Macaw, which is like a comics character on the Sunday Straits Times. So you, you, you note the change in, in tenor, the transition. But later on, oh, I, was, I was being thrown a couple of more nice bones. I was doing Tan Sai Xiong and Han Fuk Kwang. So there was this little edge for a little political discourse. Again, about the maid levy. The maid levy, of course, for those of you who had maids, the maid levy, and about how the IRD is the guy holding, you know, the, the, the joining of assets. So suddenly it was becoming a little less lovey-dovey and a little more political, and I was getting to be a little more settled in. And I could do things about depression, still in vogue, no, right? Still in vogue. In fact, all the more in vogue with the internet age for Sunday Plus. And I could do things about other people like Saddam Hussein or about kidnappings in my own country. No? So I was beginning to also flex. I, eventually I said to myself, you're old enough, you're 33, 34, 35, you know what you're doing. You came here, you can go home anytime. 
or you can learn other things. So ironically, me being a left-hander, I learned how to use my right hand to do a Mac mouse. Okay, so I learned how to computer, I learned how to do airbrushing. I mean, I said, what the heck? I decided to be here, I might as well pick up anything I could learn. But trust me, it was still quite lonely. No? It was still quite lonely. Denkoy had not yet joined me in 1992. And so, yeah. But I, would, I, could, I could be able to do things about Hong Kong. Chris Patton, last governor of Hong Kong. And I could even illustrate for Kishore Mabubani, who I think is still very active up to now, no? So the, I, was, I, was being, I was being given little more, you know, chances to do a little more depth and a little more cross-hatching. Ah, but this is the favorite thing. And I also did Margaret Chan. Food. And so the nice thing about a Margaret Chan assignment was you go to go look at it. So if he's talking about a Prata man somewhere, I think in Srangun Road, I said, oh, I, I checked that out first before I draw it. No? So I go and check out the Prata man. And so this would become one of my little hallmarks, the food illustration. The, the chili crab in the national stadium. Oh, sila, see, oh, told you, oh, with paper towels. No? How do you say it? Paper towels, Samoa. All right. So there, no? so, you know, you began to, I, I began to find myself a little more settled in. And then, of course, every three months, the little call to the CPF, oh, man, that smoothed everything out. Your account number is, all right, oh, nice. And I, I would always joke, Denkoy, what day is it? December 9? Let's look at the ATM. <laughs> it's the AWS, the annual wage supplement, not the bonus. So, yeah. Uh, and here, and again, this irrepressible, sarcastic nature of mine, I started to make a painting that was explained. <laughs> Every part of it was explained. And the, the name of it, the, 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 the word du jour, user-friendly. Uh, that, was, that was the word of 1988, user-friendly. So the name of the painting is user-friendly. Everything is explained. The funny thing is the explanations don't make sense. I was reading a lot of Saba then. <laughs> Don't quote me, he's in, the, he's in Manila doing exactly the same thing, so you know, yes. I can get away with these jokes. I think as I talk, Sabapati is lecturing in Manila. But also there was a dark side, because if you came closer, unfortunately my reproduction is not so good, if you came closer, each of the explanations had the ghost image of a gun. And therefore it was still the idea that whoever holds the might, defines what the meaning might be. I, I, I still held on to that. But these were my private works. I think I entered it in UOB and was immediately rejected. <laughs> what to do? Yeah. And then came that day in New Paper when they put this little thing on the back of New Paper, Artist Colony in Ulu Simbawang. I said, oh my God. After a couple of nights of crying to Majula Singapore, I said, I am going to look at my street directory. Oh, those of you who know what a street directory is are uh, you know, exposing yourself to that. I looked at my street directory and said, why does the, why does the road stop at Ulu Sembao? There's no more road. I took a yellow bus, 
to the end of Ulu Sembawang and I started to walk in that road. And out comes a man in a motorcycle. He said, Uncle, 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 Uncle. What? Artist village. Yo, artist, ah. Come, ride. It was Mr. To, Tangdawu's cousin who owned the farm, which was going to be Artist Village. And so he brought me to Artist Village. And that gave me, oh my God, you cannot, what is it like? It's like, it's like Amanda Heng finding Roti Prata in Havana. It never happened, <laughs> but it's like Amanda Heng finding Roti. It suddenly gives you life. No? Actually, the joke is Amanda Heng left Havana earlier because there was no Roti Prata. In, in fact, there was nothing to eat in Havana, in the Havana Biennale of 2000. I was yeah, with her there. We need to talk about that. <laughs> uh, I, I, we, we, well, uh, like I said, if you're not pop in, no? You cannot, you cannot estimate what this little picture did for me. I said, oh my God, there are unusual people in Singapore. Artist Village. And when I think about Artist Village, there's no apostrophe mark up to now, right? Never was, never will be. You spell it wrong if you put apostrophe in artists. Because it's like a Hokkien way of saying English, no? Artist village. Many artists, one village. There's no apostrophe. If you write it, you will be wrong if you put the apostrophe in artist village. So there. It would take a couple of more visits and then I would eventually run into Dawu, Hazel McIntosh then, uh, Lee Wen, Amanda Vincent, uh, Tamungkit also, Tamungkit, uh, Limpoleng, I think, you know, yeah. But it was, and, and then eventually I would strike a very good friendship with, I think, one of the more unusual members of Artist Village, Zai Kuning. Of course, no? Zai Kuning, my good friend who I could have a beer with. <laughs> and through Artist Village, I was able to join, and we were, I was now suddenly able to do things that were a little less cute. And I think, no, a little, a little this is at Scott's Road in the 1990, I think in 1990 Singapore International Arts Festival and we were already part of the Fringe. And so I said, what if I do a, I come from a Judeo-Christian tradition, so what if I do a seven days in reverse, no? Seven pots and everything that grows out of the earth is plastic. Little did I realize that that would be like every other day you'd see it on National Geographic. No? But at that time, if you couldn't vent your inner urges towards like the government, then you would vent it against the environment. So these were my coping mechanisms. These were my coping mechanisms. There. <laughs> the famous now very dusty, very sweaty picture of us cleaning Hongbi Warehouse on the third day. Yeah, everybody looking young, myself included. Yeah, I think I went to I went, I went to Sarangan Road and bought one of those gray worker shawls. No, very nice to wear. The overalls, yeah. So yeah, Jaikuning, yeah, and uh, that guy running with a smile is the guy who took all the pictures. Kong Wang Hao, your one of your best archivists, no? Kong Wang Hao, and. Samsuri West, before it was Samsuri Ibrahim, Ahmad Abu Bakar, Amanda's there, yeah, Amanda looking very young, Clifford S. And for those of you who go to NUS, Mr. Ahmad Mashadi, 
They're looking, looking very informal. Yeah. So this, this, these were great times. They, this is 1992, and all of a sudden, the future seemed to be a nice place. It seemed to be a nice place. I mean, it was a place where some urges could be met. Also didn't hurt that we at the SPH were doing like seven months bonus a year. Never hurt. Never really hurt. Never hurt. Being the third after UOB, I think, and SIA was SPH, so, you know, I mean. But it also, it also led me to a very important political thought. I said, I will not use the four-letter word. Man, I said, this is socialism in its real application, profit-sharing. Because the word profit-sharing is bandied about, but for employees of one of the top grocers to actually feel the profit, I said, oh man, there's got to be something about this modern place, this place I called Utopia about three years ago, that, you know, that makes you rethink all of these, uh, these kind of canals of thought that were brought in by leftist activism. Sorry. What is it that, uh, wait, that, that you're... I'll your, take it away. I'm yeah. in my shorts there. Uh, this, <laughs> okay. this, this moment in Singapore, uh, when uh, uh, you're on the one hand, you're kicking off uh, a newer phase in your artistic practice and you're making all these new friends, that you actually discover a new, newer shade of the ideological? Uh, what, what, what is it? What no. is it that, that you use the word utopia? No, uh, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I think... The one thing that actually kept me sane was I never had any illusion. I did know what Singapore was about mm. because I had some friends who were banned from entering before I even entered. Mm. So I, I, I knew what it was about. Mm. Um, but like I said, it was a personal choice between me and my wife as well. It was obviously an improvement on our economy. Mm. So I said, what does one do? One has to cope. Mm. Mm. But yes, no, but in the coping, that's the crucible of real idealism, I think. I think now that as we grow older and as we are pounded by things that we have agreed to, then we begin to see, yes, the more pragmatic way to, to approach things. But also, I, I, I will save this for the conclusion. I, I will say that later in my, in my wormhole anal analogy. But anyway, here, another space, and I would always, and I would always, uh, I think I would always joke, Amanda, I said, you see, Amanda, I can cope very well with Hongbi Warehouse. No water, no electricity, I'm so used to it. Because <laughs> there was no water, no electricity. In fact, I think I taught them how to gather rainwater, just for us to clean off the dust, because damn, 10 years of dust at Hongbi Warehouse, no? Saba, Amanda, me in my very fashionable artist garb. No, that's my wife, reluctantly assisting to paint the installation. <laughs> Says, so hot here. <laughs> I said, help, help, just help. Then I have to go back to office later. Okay. But yeah, no, but this was just down River Valley Road. So yeah. In fact, I think Denkoy and friends would sometimes see me in my Karanguni mode. I would go to the old cold storage on Muhammad Sultan, and I would pick up all the pine wood used to, to, used to, to package the fruits, and I'd bring it home and make sculpture. 
said, wow, lots of wood. They all just throw. Huh? <laughs> you can imagine what I was doing on Chinese New Year, no? when everybody threw away everything. <laughs> oh my God, lots of materials. So again, we could not walk inside our river valley flat, full of art and junk. There. This is finally, again, it is a statement against the first Gulf War. Schwarzkopf, 1990. The first one when they repelled Saddam Hussein from Kuwait. It's a statement about that. It's also a statement about death. It's also a statement about mortality. It's a three-part installation. And ironically, the, the termites ate it all. <laughs> so it's really mortal. A big mouse took away my bread, one of the river mice. And so, yeah, but well, at least I was able to take a picture. And then, yeah, then Dao started it by doing street performance. And I said, wow, that's a thing. That's a thing to do on your weekend. I have already had enough of Sentosa. I've already had enough of Changi Beach. I said, let's do performance on Sundays. So we, we planned this. My wife carried all of my immigration papers with her because if I did not apply for a license. And I would do the performance on a bus. And lo and behold, blessed Singapore, as long as you pay the ticket, the bus driver doesn't care what you look like. <laughs> he doesn't care. And of course, again, this will, this will resonate with some. Some of the people said, ah, I know that one, that one, gotcha. Gotcha. He's just making, he's pulling our leg, you know? That's gotcha. This is that candid camera show then, no? Uh, that's not a performance, that's gotcha, gotcha. That guy's going to make a joke later. I, I never did. <laughs> I never did. I walked, around, I walked around the orchard talking to a little man. And this was also my way of saying that I was both invisible and alienated, in a way. No? The little man was talking back to me, I was talking back to him, and we were talking alone. But also, it was, it was hinting at something else. I was also getting to be quite uncomfortable with the reservedness of many Singaporeans, I think. Uh, obviously, I'm not a reserved character, as you can see. And I was surrounded by people who are very reserved, Denkoi knows this, that you say, hey man, I said, why? You know, you, 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 because we, we like to touch and tap each other. And my friend says, yeah, it's good, man, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's great. I said, okay, la. I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> ah, here. And then, of course, I, I recruited my friends at Artist Village, Vincent Liao, Iftan In-In, Samsuri West, Ahmad Abu Bakar, and we made this little installation called Don't Let This Hamper You. I said, make a hamper for your life. And so they all had cryptic little hampers, which I was very happy with. No? And this was shown in my show in 1993 at Gallery 21 Riverwalk Galleria. That's very far from here. Okay, uh, the, the title of the work is Without It. I'm invisible. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about the it? Well, that's the it. That, that's the nice thing. It doesn't mean anything. But also, I, I, I suppose the answer to it was without art. I think that's what I wanted to say. That if I wasn't making my art, I would be totally invisible. And I took a very literal 
trope, of course, if you, for those of you who've ever seen James Whale, 1930, The Invisible Man, no? The bandages of somebody who was made invisible by monocaine. What is that? No? It's supposed to be like that super drug that made people invisible and then killed you with insanity. In, what is 2009, when they did Hollow Man, I think, no? They did the reprise of that. But the early one really intrigued me. And I put up a set of performances, and of course, one of my best collaborators, Mr. Zai Kuning. Because Zai Kuning could, could do a dance that looked like an evolutionary scale. I said, first you become a snake, then later you become a goat, and then an ape. And it was fantastic. Because I, I said, I, I wanted to just use suggesting evolution. So that's a Zaikuning crawling along the, the marble corridors of Gallery 21. And this is me at my opening, staying, in the, staying inside that for three hours, not talking to anybody, but talking to myself. So you come to my opening, where's the artist? There, there. And then later on, for one hour, everybody was waiting for something to happen and nothing was happening. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, I think it was Denkoy or George Gascon, George Gascon, the photographer, and he said, we have got the beer. You want to stay there and talk to yourself? We're going home and drinking. I said, wait, wait, wait. I said, wait. I, just, I suddenly broke my mood. I said, wait, I'm coming. All right. And then, of course, I had all these thoughts about religion in, you know, the multi-sectoral state that is one, one's thoughts. I mean, I said, what the heck? If your brain is like water, you look for whatever cracks you can flow into, and that's what I did to keep myself going. And also about beauty. I, I took a painting, it's called Mona and Lisa, and it's about the before picture, not the before, after, right? This is the before. Both of them are before, profile and front view of the before. These are small ads, Kayla, finishing, okay. And then of course, a suitcase made out of underwear, I called it uh, Dayo, which is a foreigner. And uh, yeah, this, this, is, this is the one, no? With the, no? It's playing basketball with gringo. It's a, it's a, it's a thing about post-colonialism and the military strife that was happening in the Philippines then. This is in the collection here. This is in the collection. The, one of them is, yeah. Another trope that I would always come back to is the shopping bag. Now, don't ask me why, why that happens to me in Singapore. I think it should be self-evident, no? So I did the shopping bag, and yet my shopping bag was talking about Bosnia and, and Serbia. So I said, here I am in a modern mall of a country, and yet I still have the thoughts about the separation, the genocide, and all that stuff. One of my favorites, didactic, you know? And this is the crooks, one of the things I take home from Singapore. First, you eat the roast duck. Then it becomes Mallardvich and Dakuning. Therefore, there are priorities to development. That is what to me is the didactic thing about this. This, I think, is like one of my takeaways. Tapao, you know, from Singapore. It's one of my tapao. I bring it home and I said, yeah, that's one lesson I learned. There are things first to develop. You clean up everything in society. Then the art follows. This is me in that famous night of 
where Joseph Ng made history, but I, I, I was in a box for six hours. You opened the box and I jumped at you. <laughs> no, all six feet of me. The funny thing is I'm held back by about 50 garters. So there are restraints. So I actually jump at you and I pull, I pull back into the box. And a couple of drunks would kick me and say, Orang bitul, And I try to chase them, I pull back in. Uh, it's called license. Uh, you work that out. Okay. And another thing that I brought home, the door-to-door. Anybody who's encountered a Filipina going to Changi Airport, trying to bring half of the Singapore economy back to her province, understands what door-to-door means, no? And I said, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Everybody tries to improve. There are no one door-to-door box at a time. Ah, okay. And then here is now, in Tagalog, we call it katas, the juice. As I was leaving, in my lonely moments just before I left, I took a picture of the construction of Great World Center, Kim Seng Road. Time's house would be gone, and I was shooting it from my River Valley apartment. And a couple of months later, I was making my own construction. Ah, so Singapore had paid off. And Bogi now has a house to put in all those unsold works. <laughs> very nice. Settled. Moving forward. Okay, this is very good. Going to be very fast. When I settled back in, oh my God, people still remember me. And I got to join some triennials. I did graphic design. Again, no, you, you come back home, you don't have the SPH to you know, give you seven months bonus, so you work again. And I did cartoons as usual, no? Free market, barcode, tiger. And I was able to get back at congressmen and HIV. So, you know, I was, I was back in my turf. And here again. And then I did, from all of the bags of cement used to build the house that I built, I built a rotten vestida, a rotten formal gown. And that was another tapau I had. I said, what breaks down in society is when the elite give you the wrong signals. And as far as I was concerned, coming back home to the Philippines through this wormhole, that was one of the constants, that our elite was giving us the wrong signals. That maybe, yeah, uh, those who didn't pick up corruption were the stupid ones. So I, I had a lot of work about the disintegration of morality. And about conspiracies, no? Based on Tintoretto. My Invisible Man, using the Photoshop I learned at Straits Times. And about, you know, things about Philippine history. My interpretation. And here, I went to Havana, used the Photoshop, and talked about the cross between Philippine Catholicism and the socialism of the Cubans. Naomi Campbell as the Mother Mary. Vladimir Ilyich Lenin as Christ, no? The word there is Savior, Manunubos. That's Savior. So I made little stampitas for the Cubans. And I made a mosquito net made out of euphoric ether dreams of dentists, <laughs> of dental equipment, and Novocaine. It was like we're all in a haze and we're all numb. And we're all about to feel pain. You can imagine a whole book of dental equipment. I photoshopped it onto a chiffon. This was the beginning also of digital printout technology. 
and unfortunately it ended i think and and book it is uh, years ago when we met uh, you described this anecdote about how you experienced havana and at one point the city ran out of food no the city was always out <laughs> ran out it was always out of food i went to havana spent i spent i think 16 days and i lost 15 pounds and i always make the joke that I was supposed to fly out on November 21 with Amanda, but I think Amanda booked on November 18 to get out earlier. I met Amanda there on the way to Havana. I said, "Where's Amanda? Fly away already? <laughs> no food here in Havana. So difficult. No, these are eye openers. Eh? But that they replaced everything with a real socialist work ethic. No budget, but they mount the Havana Biennale." maybe every three years maybe every four but they mount it with muscle power no with we don't know with real grit this is of course here again it's my meditations about religion church and the peddling of it as ice cream the clouds were thanks to Joyce Toe and her curators they said can we put clouds behind i said fantastic let's do that this was at sam no This last night we saw at loose place now so i started also to do things like this the, the the juncture between extreme poverty the abject and divinity i said because i've come back to it i'd lived in a suburb again when i came back from singapore where this was both present lots of divinity and lots of poverty so i said yeah it it would have to inform every work and of course now as we were growing old Uh, I made the picture of, to me, the, some of the giants of my influence, Tangdawu, Roberto Chabet, and David Medaglia, all growing old and all on the verge of being forgotten, like how I feel now. No? And what are they doing? They're watching some kind of a Toys R Us manufacturing company of hot Chinese artists hitting the auction blocks with, you know, with, with superpowers and... All of a sudden, the romantics and the polemics and the discourse is reduced to what was the last hammer price. So I said, "Is this what we as avant-garde are going to see?" Now, of course, it's the avant-garde, but of course, in, 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 here it, it makes a lot of resonance. The avant-garde, the uncle, but in the Philippines, "aba" also means abject. So the real poor security guard. No. Okay, and then I started to make. Uh, protestations about extreme, extreme um, extravagance among the wealthy. No, because again, these were the dragon years. After 1997, they started to pick up again. But of course, my extreme arrogance, my 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 cotillion dresses always had a bite. This is what is what is the? Oh, I mean, yeah, these are actresses, no? There. Uh, This is with Dengkoi. This was commissioned by a Filipino who lives in Singapore. Said, "So yeah, look for the look for the durian, the lobster, the dragon. It's all there." No, I mean, yeah, it was a particularly malleable uh, trope. And then, of course, more Cariton cathedrals, no? and more. And as, as you notice, I'm getting crazier and crazier because it's now the cathedrals are now becoming entropic. I said, "Oh my God, I am getting older. I am approaching 60, and I'm getting more and more hopeless." And then, of course, well, one gets the chance to go to join the Venice Biennale. 
So this was the sample we did at home. This is how it looks actually in the pavilion at Palazzo Mora in Venice, May 2015. We were together with him. He was in the Singapore pavilion at the Arsenale. And this is one of the latest iterations of the UP Vargas Museum. And this is about a little bit about the South China Sea, about the crazy Philippine ship that floats there as the beacon of Philippine property, the uh, BRP Sierra Madre which the Chinese admirals have said, oh man, we torpedoed that. You just tell us when we torpedoed that thing out of the water. You crazy Filipinos. Yeah. And voila, he doesn't want to move anymore, so I think I'm done. Mariel? Can I? Thank you. Um, <coughs> I, I think we can take a couple of questions. Yeah, uh, please, yeah. please, please, please. So thank you for the talk. It was very, very illuminating and informative. And I was really struck when you mentioned that particular point about surviving to a certain age and how as you continue to make work in that kind of context of yourself, it's a kind of idealism, that survivalism as idealism. And I'm really, really curious because I'm pretty sure that a lot of your artistry as well is informed through the context that you have gone through, the CONTEXT, yes, and, the, and your personal history. And with regards to a lot of young artists, especially I think this is more pertinent in Singapore because I'm a critic who deals with a lot with the young artists, is they don't seem to have that sort of perhaps survivalist mentality because they never had the need to. Because a lot of them, I've realized from my interactions that they are bound within a sort of middle-class, educate, uh, educated strata, you know, with certain leanings towards humanities arts. And when they make art in that kind of scenario, sometimes it comes out as lacking, even though it might be technically competent. So I was just wondering whether there is any way of really jolting that kind of survival response, or is it strictly a personal journey? I was talking with Mustafa earlier. I think the dynamic here is a little more subtle and it is not as raucous and as noisy and as hysterical as like with us. But I think the one thing that you must own up to is the presence of white noise. That to me is the more interesting thing about Singapore. It is bathed in white noise. And when you start listening to it well, then you will see the, the dynamics that you have to wrestle with. That I felt. I think that's, I, I would never be, I would be too noisy to listen to white noise myself. And I come from such a jagged background that, yeah. But that's what I notice, I think. In my working in the Straits Times, in our working in the Straits Times, it is, I think, one of the prevalent things. But that's a nice thing. I said, that's a nice thing. That is what you are. Why? You must not try to be something else as well. You must grapple with the white noise. And what it does and its subtleties and its nuances. And like George Bennett, the, the Lothario who taught me, he said, damn man, stand on the street and you will hear what music you have to write. So there, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but who doesn't want to have things taken care of for them? I would have wished they were taken off 
better for me. Is that going to be a liability? No, I, I, don't think, I don't think modernity or convenience is a liability. But you have to listen to the, the more subtle things, I think. Or put it this way, my son, who's now in LA, wants to be an animator, can't find a job, he's dishwashing at a Korean restaurant. I said, good for you, because you're going to see real life first before you, before you get away from the nine-hour gaming that I was always going to kick you at night four. You know, old men wake up at three o'clock, oh man, got it. You still awake? Gaming, no, my son. So now he's, he's, he's doing real life and I'm so happy. I don't know. <coughs> How does one solve it, no? <clears throat> but this is a great place. <laughs> it really is, it really is. I mean, like I said, when I was crossing that Utram Park with all the bougainvillea on the pedestrian, I said, damn, this is utopia. But how to live in utopia is a funny thing, yeah. Because some of us have not lived in utopia. We have lived in pre-utopia or approaching utopia or definitely post-utopia forever. <laughs> so yeah, how do you deal with that? That's... But I still say listen. Listen to, listen to yourself. What Charles did, what Zai did, these are all listening posts. Eh? I think that that's where it goes. You just have to listen. It will be different. I, and I think we are never spared with self-contempt. I suffer that every day. Trust me. We, we, we have self-contempt. It's built in. I think it's a good thing. We're self-critical. It can be depressing when you, you, know, when you haven't sold any painting for a couple of months. <laughs> Bunny, hi. <laughs> Shout out to the dealer. <laughs> no, just kidding. Sorry. Any, any more, please? Sorry, just, just before we move on to the next question, just um, a quick um, announcement. So, um, those who bought a ticket for the film screening at 2pm, um, The Seen and Unseen by Camilla Andini. So, if you bought a film um, ticket for that, um, you have about seven minutes to get to the auditorium. So, my colleagues there will usher you down. Uh, but for the rest of you who haven't got a film ticket, um, feel free to stay on and listen to Bogey. So, yeah, we can continue. Um, any other questions? Yeah, any, any, any more questions? There, we have yes, one please. here. While she's getting the mic, I will say also that you can catch that on YouTube, but I'll only be here once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I'm very fascinated with your outfit. Could you explain that, please? Okay. Well, it's, it's a classic. In the Philippines, we have this institution called the security guard. No? It is one-third of the population hired by the richer third of the population to guard against the poorer third of the population. It is a symptom of maldistribution. Everything has to be guarded by a guy from the same class. Funny, you know? It's like, it's like uh, having an untouchable so that the Brahmins will not be touched by the other untouchables and he stands at the door. And if you walk in Makati, I can guarantee you, you walk 10 meters, you will see a security guard at every door. And they have the flimsiest of things. Yeah, in fact, Denku is a great admirer of security guards. He always quarrels with them. ID? What ID? <laughs> so it's part of my pun. It's about the, avant the avant-garde, avant-garde. And also I have patches 
And the patches are about historical figures in Philippine art. David Cortez Medalla, to my mind, one of my idols. And uh, here is AGI or the Avant-Garde International. Yeah. And then, of course, there is the, uh, the hammer and sickle of the SR group. On the other side is Chabetismo, no? the, the mystical body of the great Roberto Chabet who never put things in words. And of course, uh, in our history, Victorio Edades, the, like the harbinger of Western modernism in 1928 that took us away from the idyllic Sorolla-like paintings of Morsolo. Anyway, so there, no, I'm, I myself am. It is also, the, the avant-garde for me is also, as you grow older, a meditation on mortality. I am left to guard what I did from these young high hammer punks. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's bitterness, you know? But you know, oh my God, I said, what is the discourse left? I don't need discourse. I go, I go to the website on Monday morning and see what was the last hammer price for the latest hot young artist. No more discourse. What? Seven million out of one million? Do you need any discourse? So I said, yeah, man. I mean, this is our new world. That is the discourse. Or this is, this is again, and you, you notice me, I am also listening to all the white noise in the middle. I'm saying, what the heck? Am I running? Where, where am I swimming now? Where am I swimming? Um, I did a little essay before. First time I came back here in 2004. And Denkoy and I went to the Esplanade and we looked at the library, the video library. And I said, there's still no porn. <laughs> what kind of... Why doesn't it have I am curious yellow or I am curious blue? Is this a legit video library? These are all your white noise issues, you know? I, I think we can take one more uh, question. Please, yes. Hi, uh, thank you so much for your talk. Um, so I'm a Filipino student um, going to university here in Singapore. And I guess going back to the title of this event, uh, Why Do We Leave? Um, I want to ask you personally, you know, you, you mentioned how you struggled uh, through uh, uh, protestations in the Marcus regime and then proceeded to take a job here in Singapore. Yeah. Um, and I wrote down what you said about um, the experience of settling in in Singapore for the first time, telling yourself you came here, you can go home anytime, uh, or you can learn other things. So I want to know, um, why is it that um, you chose to come here instead of staying back home um, and learning new things back home um, more directly? Because as a college student right now, I'm um, struggling with answering the question of what I'm going to do after my university outside of the Philippines, you know, am I supposed to come back to the Philippines, bring back what I know, or am I supposed to, uh, as you said, go somewhere else, um, go out of my comfort zone and explore new things, learn new things? Thank you. I will give you a 1989 answer and a 2018 answer. The, 1918, the 1989 answer is 16 to 1, and the 2018 answer is 39.45 to 1. It was economics. So yes, because my wife said, aren't we going to have like a house and kids? 
And we had just emerged from an era where we were just happy to be alive. And also because, honestly, it was only Singapore who ever invited me. So what the heck, where else would I go? I, I keep joking, my friends, yeah, you all got grant, huh? Me, I got job. Everybody goes to London for a grant or Australia for a uh, No, me, I got to SPH. Now, tell me that you, you got more money from that, for that grant. I said, you didn't get SPH rates. So, yeah, that's my only joke. As to what you will do, I'm sorry, you have to work it out. I, I, that's why I stopped teaching, because I, I realized I could not give young people answers. But I could tell you stories, and you have to divine for yourself from these things. Because you have to find out what you like. And this is the only thing I preach to my kids. Please do what you like because I'm not going to help you. Right? I'm not going to help you. You have to struggle this out just like we had to struggle it out. At least I'm not going to oppose you like what we had. But you have to work it out. I think you have to work it out. If I may ask, if you don't mind. Can, can I ask? So what are you taking up? In Singapore. Are you, are you studying under Vince Raphael? Not yet. Okay. Okay, you'll go to Kavanaugh uh, <laughs> Hall. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. Just kidding. That's, that's, my, that's my sarcastic side. But you have to, you have to work it out. Eh? I can guarantee you, you will never run out of problems if you apply that in the Philippines, that's for sure. But then again, the funny thing is politics is human. No? Police. Wherever you have people, whether it's firecrackers or white noise, there is politics. None of us escapes. None of us escapes. Even in the queue up to the auction halls, it's politics. Even in the buttering up, sorry, in the buttering up of curators, you are, you're a great guy. It is politics. In the, the art world is so, you know, it's one of the microcosms of like all of this politics. Because here we are making something that nobody needs and selling it at a price nobody can afford. So, you know, man, wow. What, where, where else do you have such a nice practice, you know? People can live without it. Although, well, I, I, I like to quote John Maida, the, the digital designer. He said, on the other hand, we have gotten so well with all our medicine. We have learned to live a lot longer. But what do we live for? We live for art. You've been listening to the Padang Sessions from National Gallery Singapore. Follow us for updates and new episodes every month. And to learn more about our programs at the gallery, visit nationalgallery.sg. Our podcast team is Erica Lai, Kalisha Chiakasim, and Tamaris Go. And the music you heard is composed by Javon Chandra. I'm Joyce Chung. Thanks for listening.